Good morning. It's great to be with you here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, I've enjoyed this week in the life of Jubilee. On Tuesday, we had six families come to collect food from our new food bank on North Hull. Well done to everybody who helped us set this up and get it running. You know, it would have been easy in lockdown to delay the planting of our new church in North Hull. But Josh and Jen are still praying, pioneering with their team. We're going to see an incredible church planted in the north of the city. And we're praying together as where is even the next church plant going to be? In my role in Regions Beyond this week, I've been discussing our plant into Birmingham and also considering Stratford in London as another destination to see God's kingdom break in. We're opening our showers and laundry next week in Jubilee Central, as well as Big Issue. Although, of course, we'd be unable to meet together on a Sunday for a while, Jubilee is still making impact, and I know you are in your community. Thank you for all that you are doing. Well, this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And today we're going to look at the verses in Philippians 1 from verse 27 to verse 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I wonder if someone's ever said to you, act your age, not your shoe size. Or maybe you're going out with your family and a parent says, don't embarrass us. Remember, you're a Whittington or whatever surname yours is. See, in a roundabout way, they're saying, act your identity. And as Paul wrote to the Philippians, that's the point he makes. Paul challenges them and us with these words. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul was saying, act your identity. Remember who you are. Remember where your citizenship really is and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your true identity. Remember, you and I are sons and daughters of the king. Remember where your citizenship is. The Bible says today we are seated together with Christ in heavenly faces. You may be seated on your sofa, on your kitchen chair, but you're seated with Christ for all eternity. We were once cut off from God, a holy, loving God, because of our sins, our wrongdoing. But God sent Jesus to the earth. He died in our place. He took our punishment on the cross and he died. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, showing power over sin and death. He then returned, or the Bible says, ascended to his father. And he's now seated on a throne. And when we receive this free gift of salvation, his forgiveness for our sin, it's gone. God allows us now to sit with him. We're secure for all eternity. Let the truth of that touch you again this morning. We're citizens of heaven. We're forgiven. We're seated with Christ. We're his sons and daughters. And see, when we realise we are children of God and citizens of heaven, 
then we realise we have all the resources of the Heavenly Father available to us so we can live differently as Paul reminds us to do. To those around us, our friends, our work colleagues, the city will draw conclusions about Jesus by the way that we live, from what they see. And Paul here describes some of the ways of living that will help us have a greater impact on the watching world. So there are three things I want to look at this morning that we can do as Christians. The first thing is this, is be constant. See, Paul writes, then whether I come and see or only hear about you in your absence, I know that you will stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, what did Paul expect the Philippians to do? He expected them to stand firm, to persevere, to be constant, to be consistent. You know, the world is full of people who quit when the going gets tough and they retreat when the battle heats up. But as Christians, we stand firm. God will enable us to keep on going, to stand firm, not to shrink back. Whatever the challenges are going to be, regardless of the persecution or the pain, we must simply remain by standing firm. See, the idea of standing firm is to hold our ground. And it was used in the military settings of a soldier that refused to give up his position regardless of his own personal danger. The soldier submitted himself to something of greater importance than just his individual life. He served, he put himself at risk for the benefit of his fellow soldiers and the nation they all served. So it means we resist the temptations that come against us to compromise our faith. We live our lives differently. Colossians 3, 8 to 10 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. See, the gospel frees us from the power of sin and so helps us then live it out and demonstrate it. See, if we believe the good news of Jesus, then our lives will demonstrate it by not getting angry, by not gossiping, by not lying, not swearing, not having an ongoing pity party. We're constant in choosing to live for Jesus. And the second thing is being cooperative if we want to live for God. Philippians 1.27, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you will stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, the one spirit, the one mind here shows this unity that Christians are to have with one another. It's also being full of the Holy Spirit that we can live for Jesus. See, we're not to be in isolation. We're to work together in helping each other walk with Jesus. See, each one of us as a Christian is equipped by God to serve in the church for the benefit of the whole body. We need each other. See, often when we're under pressure, it's easy to lose sight of the importance of standing together and being unified. See, Paul was aware of the tensions that had arisen in Philippi. There was a dispute between at least two leaders in that church. And we'll look at that in chapter four later on. But this is one of the reasons he stressed unity and he taught them how to have unity, as we will see in chapter two. Do you know one of Satan's favourite tactics is to divide and conquer? He knows that if he gets us fighting with one another in the church, then the church is weakened and made ineffective. 
and unproductive. He calls, therefore, for us to stand firm in one spirit. See, when we're truly working as a team, there's incredible power. For the church to be effective in any time or circumstance, that we must work together as a team and be willing to cooperate with one another. That is happening in Jubilee as we stand together in this time, as we continue to love and support one another. We think the best of one another. We're not gossiping about each other. We're honest in our conversations. We're quick to forgive. We believe the best of one another. Let's let the world be a place where people quarrel, fight and divide. But let's continue as we are at Jubilee to be a place where we contend as one. So as citizens of heaven, Paul commands that we walk in a worthy manner by walking consistently, walking cooperatively. And lastly, worthy conduct includes this. It's being confident. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God. For it has been as granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, here we see that Paul calls them to remain cool, confident, courageous in the face of opposition. Paul told them, don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. You know, in times of crisis, others may be nervous or afraid, but that shouldn't be for us as Christians. We can know God's peace and confidence. Why and how can the Christian remain confident and courageous in times of crisis and conflict? Well, this is the answer, because we know the outcome of the battle. We know the end of the story. We're on God's side and he wins. You know, it's like the difference of watching a live football game and watching a recorded version after the fact when we know the outcome. We know the outcome. Paul explained that when we live with confidence and courage, then we become a sign to the unbeliever. When the unbeliever sees our confidence and courage in face of difficulty, crisis and suffering, then they begin to realise we possess something maybe they don't have. You know, Pilate was confused at the calm confidence of Christ during his arrest and interrogation. When we know that we stand with God, then we know where we're going and we can be calm and confident, even in the face of persecution. See, Paul wanted the Philippians and us to be prepared for opposition. See, sooner or later, we will run into opposition. Opposition to the gospel reveals the spiritual reality that we're on the right track, that those who oppose us are on the wrong track. Our strong faith will act as a sign of them, of what will occur at the end. Ultimately, the destruction of Christ's opponents, but yet the salvation of believers. This is something that God will do through our faithful witness. You know, if no one ever criticises us or opposes his people, if we don't make ways because of our faith, if everybody is happy with us, then perhaps there's something wrong with our expression of Christianity. Or there's something wrong with, their, with our understanding of our faith. See, those who walk worthy of the gospel are going to annoy people. Because we stand against sin. When we say that Jesus is the only way to know God, they're going to call us arrogant. When we say the Bible is the word of God, they're going to say you're ignorant. 
When we dare to say that sex is only for marriage and everything outside of that is wrong, they're going to call us, oh, you're narrow-minded, you're judgmental, you're bigots. And so it will go. We will annoy people precisely because we are citizens of heaven. We live by different principles. See, Paul's advice for us is this. Don't be afraid. Just keep on speaking and living. See, people might not like our lives at times and our message. We can't let us stop us. We're not to be controlled by either fear or failure. We can place our trust in God and have peace in whatever he allows. Just as Paul did in his own circumstances, which for him, mate, he could die or live. You know, when we're persecuted or suffer, Paul tells us in verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. See, there's a promised gift most of us want us to forget. We've been promised to suffer. Suffering is a gift. If Christ suffered and he is king, Lord and God, then his followers will suffer as well. In fact, our suffering is as certain as our own salvation and our suffering is as sovereign as our salvation. In fact, our suffering is as certain as our salvation and our suffering is as sovereign as our salvation. I had to repeat it there. See, the main emphasis in verse 29 is the verb has been granted, which means given graciously to show favour or give freely. It comes from the root word of grace or kindness, speaking in God's favour. You know, God looks at you and I in a favourable way. And his favour has been shown to you in two ways. Giving us the free gift of salvation and giving us suffering as a gift. See, God sanctifies us. He means he makes us more like Jesus in our suffering. So God gives us with the belief of salvation and gifts us with sanctification, which comes with suffering. When we suffer as Christ would suffer, then we give weight to the message of our gospel. See, those around who don't know Jesus didn't see Christ suffering on the cross for them with joy and dignity. But they can see Christ through your suffering as you through suffering as a gift of the suffering God. This is an opportunity to gain the attention of the lost. When they see us delighting in Christ while we're going through struggles and difficulties and suffering. Just like the Philippian jailer who saw Paul singing in the jail after being abused and then came to know Jesus and his family. See, if you're suffering right now, God can use that not only to help change us, but to change those around us. So today, this week, let us live a life worthy of this gospel. Be constant, be cooperative and be confident. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of salvation that's so free, that our Jesus came to us, gave us forgiveness. Thank you this morning. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have a direct personal relationship with you. And so today I pray help us to live out that relationship by changing us, by making us more like Jesus. Pray particularly for those who are suffering. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen them. We do pray, yes, for healing and breakthrough and miracles. But we also pray for strength through that and the joy that would fill people, that would be an example to the world, that even though we are going through difficulties and trials, that we know God and he strengthens us. So come, Holy Spirit, come and equip us to be all that you've called us to be, to live lives worthy of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.